So um, normally the, the class I teach or have always enjoyed teaching the most is Doctrines of Grace. I just love uh, teaching that class. Um, sometimes in here I teach the leadership part on elders, deacons, church polity, that sort of thing. Today we're going to talk about church membership. Um, it, it, um, yeah, it's not generally as controversial maybe as some of those other topics, but, but it's very encouraging and maybe, maybe mildly corrective for us all, uh, particularly as we think about application. But I, I don't know how your notes follow. Um, what I'm going to do is, is walk down sort of the, I'll introduce the topic a bit. And then I'm going to talk about uh, sort of biblical, uh, I'm going to use the term loose, the biblical proofs for the primacy of local church membership, uh, recognizing that uh, everybody doesn't hold it in as high regard as, as we might hear Christ's covenant. Uh, talk about some of the benefits of that and then some of the sort of consequent sort of expectations or challenges that come with that. So um, when I was uh, in seminary uh, 25, whatever years ago, we talked then about our culture being sort of post-Christian. Um, most of a generation later, I don't know what that would make us, but even then, uh, church uh, membership, even in the evangelical community, wasn't held in as high regard as it should have been. Um, it was seen, it was, it's fairly common to hold it in a decent sort of regard, but we had even uh, 25 whatever years ago, there were lots of folks who were content to sort of go rogue for seasons or even just never really commit to a local community. Um, good TV preacher, um, Bible study books, occasional radio program, you know, some tapes back then, uh, podcast today. Um, and that was maybe enough. It was a fine option. So fast forward to today, uh, I don't know, um, I know sort of in larger thinking, there was postmodern and there's whatever we are, and there was post-Christian, and I don't know where we are. But today it's not only uh, fairly common for folk to not hold church membership in high regard, but to almost go past that to say that it is almost a liberty in getting past that sort of bondage. It, it's, like, um, it's like we've somehow, um, we've been liberated from being bound to such sort of old-fashioned ways or whatever. And, and I would submit that uh, even if the culture flows that way aggressively, and, and I mean the church culture, I mean folk who name the name of Christ, uh, sadly often would, would sort of hold that uh, I'm an island, I'm master of fate, and all that other stuff. Um, we're going to push hard against that. We believe the Bible is very clearly um, putting forth that local church membership is necessary and vital uh, to our flourishing as individuals and, and as a community of believers. Um, and, and I cannot give you the verse that says that. I can't go to, you know, Second Maccabees 3.9, go all apocryphal on you and say that here's a verse that says, be thou a member of thine local church, or thine will suffer thine retribution, or, I said retribution. <laughs> That's kind of funny. My kids would love that. Um, on the recording. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to back up, take that out. Um, I, there, I don't, we don't have a verse for that, but what I will speak uh, fairly um, confidently on is that the Bible holds it out as the normative way that Christians walk out the Christian life. And so I'm going to walk through some examples of that and, and where that fits into your notes. I'm not 100% sure, um, but the Bible's pretty clear. So let me, let me just jump into that. Uh, some of these sort of evidences for, proofs for the vitality and necessity, uh, and I would even say the demand of Scripture, that we'd be committed to a local body, and then we'll move into some of the, some of the benefits of that and some of the consequences. So evidences for 
the Bible's clear position on membership. Um, I, I would begin as far back as say, it, the, the, both the coming into the church and the going out and everything in between screams out for local church membership to it. Um, people come into the community. Uh, you think about Acts 2, if you were, it's in your notes. If not, uh, if you think about Acts 2 um, or Acts 16, uh, where the church is being sort of um, formed right in, in front of us, you know, right there in, in real space and time and in our Bibles. And, and just as matter-of-factly, uh, the writers of Scripture, inspired by God, said that to their, to their number, and in fact to their local number, uh, they were added every day. There was a, disc a, a discrete group of people um, that were the local body. And so when you go jump over to Acts 16, Acts 16.5, you see um, local churches who are having people added to their local number every day. There was a number. There was a local number. Now, we don't want to go all Southern Baptist and, and just sometimes be um, just consumed with numbers. You know, I came out of a world where, you know, you reported all your numbers to the convention. And for a brief season, I left my Southern Baptist heritage and moved over to a, a Free Will Baptist heritage. And we reported numbers. We made Southern Baptists look like babies. Man, we reported, we had what, what were called bus ministries. And we reported our bus ministry numbers. And I mean, we had all sorts of data. And we had high attendance Sundays and things like that. And we were all about the numbers. Uh, I would submit, in retrospect, a lot of that was we were about our own self-promotion and, and, and sort of a, uh, a pragmatism. May have had good intentions, but it quickly became a, um, about measuring how good we were at what we did or how well we had done. And, and there was a bit of chest pounding, sadly, in some of that. Um, that's not what the Bible holds out, but the Bible just lets us know. They knew, they knew who was in that local group. There were, there were local bodies. It wasn't some amorphous just well, they're out there. God's people are out there. No, there's a handful of them here, and there's a handful of them here, and there's a handful of them there. Not just on the way in, but if you think about uh, on, on occasion, sadly, when people were set out of the local body, think about church discipline, whether that's Matthew 18, which is sort of a thoughtful, sequential process. I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to take somebody with them, that sort of thing. Or, or 1 Corinthians 5, where the sin is so heinous that Paul said, you just need to get them out. That dude's with his stepmom or whatever. You just need to get them out. If I was there, I'd grab him by the neck and throw them out. Get them out of what, Paul? Um, Matthew 18, get them out of what? What are we setting them out of so that they know they're out of something? If we're all just floating around, ephemerally just kind of like we're Christians in the cosmic community, what do you get out of? But if you're part of a local body, which is the normative, expectation of the New Testament, there is a discrete group of people that you are in and you can be set out of it for a season. Not out of meanness. Church discipline is the farthest thing from meanness. Church discipline is about seeing somebody self-destructing and saying, we don't want you to self-destruct and we don't want the people around you, your wife and your kids to be destroyed in the process. So we're gonna grab you by the neck and say, please don't do what you're doing. And, and in fact, so you can feel how it is you can feel your distance from the community. We're going to set you out for a bit. And we want that loneliness to sort of get on to you and, and get to you and make you go, I want to be back in fellowship. And you repent and you come back in and, and your wife and your kids and all the people around you aren't ruined by that horrible thing you were doing because it, it has a blast radius. So, and I think y'all will cover this in a, in a subsequent class, but church discipline, um, 
may not be popular and it may have sort of an old sort of punitive sound to it, but it may be the most loving thing that a local church does. Every time we've done it here, and having been an elder for a number of years, I've, I've been in that process, and I will tell you, nothing's been prayed about more, and nothing is more um, zealously pursued for the love of a, of a man or a woman or the family than, than what we probably ought to call church restoration, but popularly called church discipline. But back to the point, um, there had to be a local body, a local membership for them to be set outside of the local membership. And then if you think just within um, the, the, the scriptures, uh, as we look at body life, um, whether it's Acts 6, where some local church folks voted on who was going to help them, who was going to lead them. Um, I think about um, the widow's list in 1 Timothy 5. They not, they not only knew in the New Testament who was in their local body, they had a list of the widows that needed extra help. So these, these widows weren't just like, well, I think there's some women in the region of Jerusalem that may need some help. No, there's a group of them that meet over at so-and-so's house, and there are four widows there. Are we taking care of them? Because widows back then, and arguably widows today, um, can be in a really bad way. And somebody's got to provide for them. They're left alone in a scary world. But we knew them because they were part of this local body that was recognized. And the reason, back to the church discipline point, people knew that you had been set out. They knew you were in something, and they knew you were out of something. And they knew the widow was in something, and they knew what that meant to them. Or... This morning in the, in the installation deal that, that Tom did for the, that guys coming back onto the older board, he referenced, um, he referenced Hebrews 13, 13, 17. and talks about submitting to your elders for they give an account for you. That, that wasn't, there's no sense in that passage that he was talking about some just sort of general elders who just kind of drift around and a body of people that drift around and somehow they have some mutual relationship. No, that, that only works. It only works in that text, in that context, and in the New Testament sort of uh, context, that there was a local body that not only had a local membership, but it had local leadership. And the local leadership led and served and prayed for and gave itself for the local membership. And the local membership was supposed to submit to them, assuming they're doing it biblically, by the way. If they're, if they're not, well, they need to be held accountable. This isn't some... No, oligarchy. Well, I mean, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a dance that we do as we submit to each other. But that happens in a local body. So I don't want to wear that point out, but I don't want anybody coming in here thinking that um, because it has ultimately has some very practical consequences that we'll get to. But I don't want anybody coming in. I'm going to join Christ's covenant. I think local church is great. It's a nice extra. It's a nice option. It'll be fulfilling. It'll help maybe make my kids not so whatever. Um, maybe it'll give me some good networking for work. Maybe it'll, it'll give me a little help with our marriage, all these nice benefits. But if it doesn't, you know, I can hang out at the beach every weekend if I want to. Um, we will push back against that. We, we, we believe that the normative expectation of the New Testament is that you're committed to a local body a local membership, local leadership, local engagement, and that has consequences. It's just not an idea. 
It's just the way the Bible says we do Christian life. So that's that. Um, let, me, let me talk briefly about some of the benefits that, I don't know, that, that I think um, are probably, probably in your notes. I, th I think there's a, a couple of places where um, whoever did these notes, I'm not sure if Daniel did that version, but he talked about some of the biblical images of the church. I wanted to just talk about a couple of those. I'm going to try to move through my part in time to sort of open it up um, for questions at the end. But the, the two biblical images, if we've established that this is how God has ordained us to sort of be Christians in local community as a part, you know, sort of visible community versus invisible, sort of the larger church, um, church universal. The, it's good then to think about how God has said that, look, some of these images, and the two that your notes hit on likely are a building or a temple and um, a family. And, and I just want to make sort of two larger points about that that I think are, are encouraging and, and maybe a little pastoral. Um, beginning first with the, the whole idea of a building. You know, this, this idea that um, God is doing something. Uh, you know, there was this temple idea in the Old Testament and this visible, visible presence of God, sort of you knew where he was, that kind of thing amongst his people. And now he's come into us by his spirit. He is in us. And, and so now we get together and he dwells amongst his people. Um, what, is that, what does that mean beyond sort of the theological sort of idea or construct? It, it means something pretty huge. It means that God, who, as Tom talked about in the sermon today, God, who uh, over all of history uh, has this plan, he has decided before the foundations of the earth to call a people to himself. And how he did it is mind-bending, you know, with you know, making that and knowing about the fall and then Israel and Israel being a bunch of idiots and then, then in modern-day idiots, which are Southern Baptists, and they just kind of go. And how God moved through all of that to ultimately make a people that would worship him. You know, when we, when we pray for missionaries in, in Bangladesh or um, Kenya or Shanghai or Haiti or wherever we pray for them, we do that with a confidence that there will be a day when there will be people from every corner of the planet, every tribe, tongue, kindred, all that thing. Everybody, every people will be represented around the throne and they'll all be worshiping because God was about doing that. We, we pray for those folks when, we, when somebody, um, like every week, y'all know how we do the pastoral prayer and we pray for these people groups. And you look at the little sheet, if you're one of those folks praying, you get the little bio on that people group and it'll be like 99.9% .9 Muslim. And then there'll be like one Christian, he's an old dude, lives on a mount with no teeth. I mean, that, that's like the, the people group. We, we're not like freaked out by that. We, we know God has people there. He has said he has people there. And so with a fair amount of boldness, some humility, because we know how he's going to do what he's going to do. But with actual confidence, we pray, God, I don't know who you have on that mountain. But you got some people on that mountain. Because that mountain is worthy. Uh, it, you are worthy of that mountain having somebody worship you. So you're going to get worshiped by somebody on that mountain. I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't know if you're going to turn the heart of the meanest man in the tribe. I don't know if a little girl is going to come to you and influence your parents. I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't know if you're going to send some, some white missionary from North Raleigh or somebody's going to have a vision, somebody's going to have a dream. You know, we may not do that here in 
our little Baptist world, but God does some wild stuff around the world. I don't know how you're going to do that, but I know you're going to do it. Because you said when, it, when, it all, when the dust all settled, there'd be people from everywhere saying, He is worthy, holy, holy, hell. So we get to pray with confidence because of that. And so when we talk about we're a part of a building, we're part of a temple, um, that's a fairly, the building thing's a pretty good um, analogy or metaphor because he's building something and we get to be a part of it. When we, when we steward the monies that God has given us here and it goes over there or it goes across the street, we are part of what he's building and it's good. It's a high privilege. The, the other um, image that I think Daniel put in the notes was this idea of the family of God or the household of God. Um, by the way, the, the reference for the other one I think you have was Ephesians 2.19 to 22 for the building. But um, if you went to Galatians 4 or 1 John 3 or some other passages, you'd see a lot of times in the New Testament this idea that we're sons and daughters of God. We're part of the family of God. And, and even this morning, I was just drinking my coffee thinking of what does that mean? And I thought about those widows, and I thought about um, what, what, what does a widow do that's not a part of a community that loves her, loves her and cares for? Because I know what we think about widows here. We actually, I know we actually think about widows here. And I know um, the young men through the years that I've had coffee with to encourage them because their daddy was no longer there to encourage them. We do that because we're, a, we're family. And we owe that. I mean, we're called a shepherd, that, that mom, that boy, that girl. That's what we do. It's, it's, a, it's the family of God. It's just not some idea. That's a great, that's cool, that sounds good. Doesn't mean anything. Oh, it means a lot. It means that you won't be alone. You know, the, the, the world is full of what, 7 billion people and they all go to the state fair the same day, as it turns <laughs> out, um, which I, I love the state fair. It's, it's my favorite day of the year. It's, it's more precious to me than Christmas, which probably means I'm unqualified to be an elder. But I, but I love the state fair. Um, and I have no idea. What was my point? People are alone. Pete, there, thank you. Yeah, funnel cake, that was, that was just trying to be mean, just getting me sidetracked is what that was. Um, well, you would look at me and think I like funnel cake. I have no idea. Um, I was actually at the state, uh, Florida State baseball game last night, and my boy had a, had a funnel cake. It was, Quite tempt temptational sort of time for me. Um, <laughs> seven billion people, how can they be alone? Um, you go to the mall, how can you be alone? You live in a neighborhood, how can you be alone? Well, the fact is the world is full of loneliness. The busier we get, the more voices, the more uh, imagined friends and family we have, virtual friends and family we have on the web, um, and, and all these sort of virtual, these faux realities, the lonelier people get. You, you don't have to ask too many uh, statisticians or sociologists or, or whatever. They will tell you that we're lonelier than ever, surrounded by more, by more people than ever, and lonelier than ever, because we, we are so afraid that if we were to let all those people that we're sending our pictures of our vacation to, it, it, and, and our pictures of our kids when they're behaving and acting really nice and they're smiling and clean, if, if they ever knew what our kids were really like, if they ever knew how uh, my wife and I talked to each other yesterday, if they only knew, because we don't put those pictures on Facebook, bro. I mean, we, you know, <laughs> we just don't do that. Um, if they knew, maybe they wouldn't love me. Maybe they wouldn't like me. Maybe they wouldn't talk to me. 
And so we're trapped in all these people uh, in this world where we're so afraid that we would, might actually be known, it's easier just to have a, an artificial life where everybody likes all our pictures. But not the church. In the church, we have this um, convoluted understanding that we are all broken, messed up people, and we don't need to project our vacation pictures. We are. We were, we were called together as a bunch of broken people. It really is our basic fellowship. We are broken people, and there was a God who was so interested in us that he did this thing through his son, and he moved all through time and space to bring us into this place where the last thing, if he did all that to redeem a people, the last thing we need to do is be artificial here and swap our Facebook photos. This is the place where we say, I'm struggling. When I ask a man in this church, and I often do, because I meet with lots of men, and I say, how are you doing in the Bible? I go through this dance, it seems like, uh, with almost most of the men I meet with. How are you doing? How are you doing in the quiet times? How are you doing in the Word? Well, I'm not doing as good as I should. Okay. What's that mean? Well, I could do better. I'd like to do better. I know, I know yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to have hair. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, I, I don't read it all as should. I, yeah, we, and I, I finally go, dude, can you stop with that? I don't say BS or crap because I'm an elder, so you can't say stuff like that. But, but, but I go, we are, no, we are the same. How are you? Has it been a month? Has it been two weeks? How long has it been since you said, God, I need you, I need you I'm going to read your word and think about you? How long has it been? You will not shock me if you say it's been seven days or seven weeks or longer. What you will do is show me that you understand that our fellowship is not in how many quiet times we had last week. Our fellowship is that we've been called into this family by this God who says, I don't pick the pretty ones. I'd have never picked Israel if I picked the pretty ones. I'd have picked the Philistines because they were all tall and had great hair and were really accurate with their weaponry. I wouldn't have picked a bunch of losers that, you know, as soon as the, the prophet leaves, they say, give me your rings. I'm going to make a cow so we can worship it. I mean, what kind of morons do that? But God loved them, and he loves us. And so if you come into this body, please don't come in trying to project how good you are and how well you have it going. Please appreciate that you're joining a family where we can actually be honest. It's such a massive waste to come in otherwise. You know, the, uh, I met with some guys this past week in, in leadership and talked about my, my frustration that um, when we have um, testimonies, sometimes we have these really testimonies of people who have come through these horrific times and, and it's almost intimidating. They're like spiritual luminaries. They're way up here. And most of us don't live way up here. Most of us live down here, you know. Um, at church, we have this language, you know, this um, God's grace how have you seen God's grace in your life today? I mean, it's almost like a little cultural language we have here. But I, I live in a world where the F-bomb is dropped pretty much like a, a pre, uh, an article. I mean, I, I'm, I run an electrical contracting company, and, and they don't talk about God's grace. They talk about other stuff. And the gap when you live there, if you think everybody else is up here in Piperville, you know, using, you know, all, every day we read a, I read a Keller book today. I read a Dever book the day after that. I read some Chandler. I read some Platt. It was radical. I mean, we go through all that stuff. 
if that's, if that's where you think everybody else is, and then you hadn't had your quiet time in five days, at some point, you'll think, what's wrong with me? Well, it doesn't mean you're not a believer. I mean, there's, we always should examine ourselves. But it may mean that um, you're worse than you thought, and by the way, they're not as good as you think they are. We are broken people in a family. And so if you join this family, don't just come in and project, you know, we all take a bath, come in, we look good, we shave, you know, shave, we look good. Get in some relationships, get in a care group, get in some discipleship relationships, and be real. Because only when you get there and you get real do you ever actually begin to move up. Because the fact is nobody jumps from like level two to level 15 where that dude or that lady was that gave that testimony. If you sit there and go, how do I get from here to there, you just shut down because it doesn't work that way. But what you can do is get in a relationship and begin to grow and begin to read the word, read a book with somebody, begin to incrementally grow. And where God takes you, whether he takes you level 15 or level three or the third heaven like Paul, I have no idea. But you get, you get moving. You don't do that on, in Facebook happy, happy Land. You do that in the local body of Christ where broken people can say they're broken people because the gospel's got us all covered, if we know them. All right. Um, I could go on with that and on with that. Uh, let, let me, huh? Well, no, I, no, they don't pay me to give you a sermon for, for good reason, I promise you that. Um, yeah, I, I went to seminary to be a pastor um, a long time ago, and one day I had an epiphany that I didn't like people that much, and they didn't like me that much, so I decided to go into business. So, because you can business, you can pay them to like you. You know, it's kind of cool. Anyway, so, so <laughs> you do that in lots of things, by the way. So, um, the, the Bible, there's no verse that says y'all got to be a member. This church or the next church. If you, if you hear all these seven, eight weeks, whatever, six weeks, whatever it is, and you go some other place and you go, that ain't for us, you go down the road wherever, understand, um, at no point do you get a pass from being committed to a local body. That is how God has sort of made it, to deal with our sin, to deal with our rough edges, to deal with our loneliness, to deal with our need, uh, and for us to flourish and grow. That's the plan. There is no other plan. Um, I, I hadn't read the Apocrypha lately, Travis. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something in that about it, but the canon of Scripture we read, this is the way it's done. Um, there's lots of evidence for that. I went through that list, and there's lots of benefits. I gave you two large ones, mainly this community um, that, that God has called us to, which is this, I often pray here, God, thank you for calling us to yourself and calling us to a family. And sometimes I'm not sure which ones, you know, they, they sort of, they're so interrelated. It's sweet. All right, so um, let, let's move to the, I think the last piece, um, probably in your notes, uh, what kind of commitment are we talking about in church membership? I think if I don't belabor this, I'll be okay on time. Um it's a commitment that's sacrificial. And um, that, you know, sacrifice often quickly moves to just one thing, you know, or maybe two, uh, money and time. Um, and and those, are, those are legit, but let's just take them as we go. So um, Romans 12, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony. Um, that's obviously more than just, you know, cutting a check. Um, that, that is, that is a, a commitment that says, if I'm in this relationship, how do I serve those with whom I'm in relationship? The easiest part of that is a tie. 
whether you do it off the gross or the net or whatever. You know, I strongly encourage y'all all to get 50% off of the gross. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't. This, this is probably the first church I've ever been in, thankfully, where we don't, we're not big on talking about money. Um, as elders, we don't know what people give. There's, I'm, I'm thankful for how we handle that. But suffice to say, the Bible speaks pretty clearly about it. And when we get to that, as we exposit the scriptures, as the preacher gets there, we're unashamed to say this is what the Bible says. If it's all his, we say that fairly easily, um, what does it mean to be a cheerful, sacrificial giver? But we'll get to that when, when the Bible gets there. Um, what does it mean past that tie check? Um, time, clearly it takes time. Um, you can't, um, as much as I talk about y'all plugging in and having someone minister to y'all, you're supposed to be doing that for them. It's a two-way street. And you can't do that, like if I just use my world, if, if I'm always traveling in business and when I'm home, I'm always at Micah's soccer match or I'm always at, you know, something at Carolina with one of my kids or I'm always at Kelsey's. If, if every hour of my day is full, I can't serve this body that I at least give lip service to loving and caring for. And so as a very practical matter, if you're going to join this church, understand that we are talking about being committed to each other. Now, I don't mean some workaholicism where the more you come, you know, the old saying, I'm there every time the door's open. I'm not impressed with that. I don't think the other elders are impressed with that. I'm pretty sure God isn't impressed with that. But using your gifts well uh, and being committed sacrificially, that's, that's Bible. So that doesn't mean you're here five times a week, but it doesn't mean you just roll up every other Sunday or when, the, when it's not too pretty and not, you know, pretty should have went to the lake. You know, I'll be there. During the winter, I'm really good. In the summer, I'm a little iffy because i got a place at the beach. Um, that is not commitment um, to attendance or to just loving and serving other people. You know, this whole idea of weeping with those who weep, um, this is now an emotional investment. You, you actually got to care about somebody enough to, to get down in, uh, in their pain. Whether that, that could be a hospital visit. That could be, you know, food when somebody's, you know, having some issue and they were providing meals. It's praying for people. Uh, what it is, is it's a commitment that's sacrificial. So if you join here, and if you don't join here, if you go down the road to Third Baptist, be committed to the point of sacrifice. If you just show up and do the stuff that you really wanted to do anyway, it ain't sacrificial. If there's something there that isn't stretching you, it ain't sacrificial, I'm just telling you. Um, Secondly, in the notes, it's a commitment to gather together. I sort of already hit on that. Y'all know the Hebrews 10 passage probably. Um, don't neglect meeting together is the habit of some, but encourage one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, Y'all get it. I've already said it several times. Church attendance is expected and necessary and, and good. Um, that, that little bit is beginning to mean something to me, though. That thing about all the more as you see the day drawing near. I, you know, I... I don't know when I was a kid, when I would hear that, or even in my younger adult years, I don't know if that meant a lot to me, but the stakes are getting real here in the good old USA. Um, it's, it's like, so my kids, we, we homeschooled for 13 years and then we private schooled over at Trinity for a number of years. You know, again, 28 to five, we have a lot of years of schooling, right? Um, and now we've been at Franklin Academy, which is a public charter for many years and absolutely love it. Um, what I love about, uh, and one of the things I love about Franklin is that it is public enough that there's all kinds of people there, but it's still got enough influence from 
a lot of good quarters that it isn't sort of militantly in your face, you know, kind of. Oh, there she is. Um, but but what I what I watch even at that sort of fairly protected charter school, the the move increasingly is toward the left and toward progressive ideas, and you don't have to just go to your, your typical public school to see that. Or in um, I remember at work, I, I used to run our government program, and I remember we were trying to grow in the state of California, and uh, we had an opportunity to write a big contract with the city of San Francisco, and we had to come up with our own domestic partners benefits program. And, and I didn't want to do that, and I was able to, I was able to sort of push off on some of those things, and, and the, the fellow that followed me went through with all of it. But I was beginning to feel heat, and that was, that was 10, 11 years ago. I can't imagine what the heat, for somebody now in that sort of public company context to say, we don't want to do that. I mean, I think they'd be run out of the room. What do you mean you don't want to do that? What are you, a cretin? You got a, you got a club, you live in a cave? What? So it's getting real out there and that's coming our way. This notion that it's just a matter of time before somebody has real issues with Tom's sermons, not because they're Westboro Baptist mean, but because they don't just sort of lay down the rules and say it's all okay. We know it's not all okay, but, but that's coming. And so this meeting, uh, being together, being in community all the more as you see the day approaching, I know that's probably talking about the day with a capital D, but I'm telling you, the day we live in is beginning, there are just not as many of us, I think that's a good thing. You know, for the longest time, the church and the Republican Party were just kind of blurred together. And I don't think that was good. I know a lot of Americans think that's good, where their guys button on or whatever uh, at election time. I'm telling you, we are not the Republican Party. By the way, we don't want to be. They're not that impressive. None of them are that impressive. Just to, so lest anybody think I'm picking on one side. We're the body of Christ. And that's going to increasingly become kind of obvious if we hold any kind of biblical conviction about anything. I'm dealing with that in my own family. My favorite nephew is gay. I have a lot of nephews. He's the only one I really like. <laughs> He's a neat guy. His crowd is telling me I've got to embrace him, his identity, or I don't love him. I love him. He is one of my favorite people. And we, we've had these conversations. So we, he knows that we can walk together. I'm his, I guess I'm his favorite uncle. He's my favorite nephew. We love each other. We, we part very clearly there. But I'm watching the rest of my family, all Baptist, kind of go, well, you know, I don't want to, eh. And next thing you know, the, we just abandoned that position completely. So I sure wasn't trying to turn this towards some political sort of sociocultural comment. I'm just saying, uh, this idea of being a part of a body, if you go out there by yourself nowadays, you'll just get lost. The pressure is too great. The, the undertow is too, too strong. Uh, toward, uh, or should I say, away from biblical truth. And we need each other. We need to remind each other of the truths of Scripture. I reached for my Bible, but I used an app, so it didn't quite have the effect. That's when you want a big King James black one, you know, would have been. Not a little ESV app. How liberal does that sound? Um, three, it's a commitment to encourage one another. Uh, I, yeah, I think I've hit on that some. I'm going to, you know, Look, just, just remember what the word encourage, forget the, epistem the, the sort of Greek origins of it or whatever, just think about it in English, uh, encourage. The, whole con the idea is that we would speak courage into somebody, 
that we would, we would want them to have courage. So when, when I encourage you, what I'm trying to do is get courage into you. I'm encouraging you to be faithful. I'm encouraging you to walk upright. I'm encouraging you to, to look toward, look to Christ because there is hope. There is, there is, a, 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 there is salvation. And so we want to do that in this community. Uh, we don't do that blindly or naively or, or in a silly way. Um, we have, um, we've, we've, we've got five kids. We've had four miscarriages. Well-intentioned people have, have said to us every time, all things work together for the good. Trust the Lord. I mean, truthful passages of Scripture. And I'm very sure that everyone I'm meant to encourage us. But we want to be wise in our encouragement. We want to be, you know, sometimes if you don't know what to say, just don't say something. Hug, pray, bring me some bojangles. There's a lots of ways. I have lots. Of, I have love languages, and they're fairly easy to figure out. Um, but when we encourage people, we, we want to encourage them biblically. But that is not to say we use the Bible uh, loosely or cavalierly. You follow the difference on that? Um, the best encouragement you will often get when you're in real pain is, Bro, I got nothing, but I'm here for you. You want me to mow your grass? What can I do? That, that's kind of like the Hippocratic Oath. You do no harm. But throwing out a verse that makes you feel like, wow, I feel far from God. Now I feel like crap because I'm supposed to feel good about this. That's not helpful. Um, finally, um, fourthly, it, it's uh, in the notes, it's a commitment to guard one another. Um, look, from without and from within. You know, talk about what's out there and how the, the, uh, the smart people say the zeitgeist, how the culture is trying to come in. You know that. But even internally, um, one, of the, one of the reasons when I, when I prayed, I think I used the term guarding the front door or something like that. Um, I really believe that that's our responsibility is to, um, I remember right after I became an elder, I heard somebody say, it ought to be easy to get into church and hard to get out. And it sounded great. That's not sure it was biblical. Uh, I, I thought about it and I concluded it should be hard to get into a church. I don't know about easy to get out, but it should be hard to get in. I mean, if this is really the set apart, sanctified ones, well then we should want to make sure you're one of his. And by the way, we should make sure that you don't come in with an agenda. Like we've had people come in that were charismatic, good brothers and sisters. Cool. Simpatico. But we were clear. You're not coming in here to try to get everybody speaking tongues just because you do in your prayer closet. We can, we can have a theological conversation about PPL, personal prayer language. What we're not going to do is give you a platform to say, I think y'all should have this experience I do. I remember um, years ago a guy came in, very active in the local uh, creation research whatever group. Ardent young earther. I don't know how old the earth is. I don't. It might be 6,000 years old. It might be 3.4 billion. I don't know. I got no pictures. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand everything. I have some ideas, but I don't understand all the stuff in Genesis. I just don't. Uh, what I do know is that our fellowship here is not based on how old the earth is. And so when that guy said, I want to teach a class and advocate for a young earth, I went, mm, I ain't doing that. Because we're not, we're not cutting this body up into like old and young earth, homeschool and, and, and God-forsaken public school, Republicans and Democrats, people 
with hair and people that look good. We're, we're just not. That was pretty smooth how I did that one. Okay. Um, we're not doing that. So if you come in and go, ooh, this is a church where there are a lot of people homeschool. I want to be here. Don't come here, please. Because at some point, they're going to send somebody like me to talk to you. That's not to say if you don't, if you homeschool, don't come here. We, we have precious, uh, a wonderful bunch of people here to homeschool and some that don't. But if people come here because this is the homeschool church, that is not, that is not the fellowship around the gospel and the preached word that we're, we're putting out there and we won't come back. Um, look, people vote all sorts of ways here. I know, obviously there's a lot of people here that voted for Trump. Um, a lot of people held their nose. One or two might actually have been happy with it. But we know people that voted the other side and they love Jesus. They just differed on some stuff. Um, we don't go on Facebook and have wars here on things that are secondary. Our fellowship is in the gospel. If you come here, know that our, I've so left church membership. I'm like just outrun. I should have stopped at Tate. <laughs> I should have stopped it. But no, this, this is membership. Yeah, yeah, I can make this work. Um, if you come here, please know that our fellowship is in the gospel that has broken people. God has reached out and said, I'm calling the people. And guess what? I called you. <laughs> Don't take credit for it. You know better than the other guy. But I called you, and I want you, and I want you to be a part of this family and this thing that I'm building, and to jump in there and be committed as how I've ordained it, and you'll flourish as you walk forward, not in bounds and jumps to level 15 Illuminati status, but incrementally as you approach the Word and you just do what I say, says God. So that's what I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop on that.